Our first scripture reading is from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to take for me an offering from whom all hearts prompt them to give you shall receive the offering for me. This is the offering that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and gems to be set in the ephod for the breastpiece. And have them make me a sanctuary, so that I may dwell among them in accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second uh, scripture reading is uh, from the New Testament. It's from Matthew's Gospel. I'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's the story of the Magi, the story of the wise men. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in that old uh, Christmas classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Sam the Snowman, played by Burl Ives, sings, silver and gold, silver and gold, everyone wishes for silver and gold. How do you measure its worth? Just by the pleasure it gives here on earth. Well, gold is the first color that we are looking at in my Advent sermon series, The Colors of Christmas. And in this next month, I'll be preaching on different colors through the lens of Christ's coming. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, which is also the first Sunday of Advent, we are looking at the color gold. 
Now, in the first scripture reading today from the book of Exodus, Moses is on top of the mountain, he's in the presence of God, and he receives the Ten Commandments when God places a rather surprising order. God tells Moses to go down from that mountain and have the Israelites take an offering and build a tabernacle where his presence could dwell with them. In other words, God makes a decision to come near to his people. That decision is based on a promise that God had already made. God told the people that they would be his and he would be theirs. In fact, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, God says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. So God promised to be with them, and then God decides to come near to his people in the wilderness. This is how God chose to do it in the Old Testament. The people are to build a tabernacle as a powerful way of symbolizing God's presence among them. So, think about it. God moves from being this distant deity who speaks to Moses as Moses is up on that mountain to being this ongoing, intimate, up-close-and-personal presence right there in the camp of his people. And then God tells them in great detail about this new dwelling place that they are to prepare especially for him. One scholar has written, God created the whole world in six days, but he used 40 days to instruct Moses about the tabernacle. Think about that for a moment. God only needs one chapter to describe the structure of the whole cosmos, but God needs six chapters for the building of the tabernacle. And so it seems that there must be something significant about this dwelling place for God. There's something that demands an enormous amount of time and energy and attention in order to honor God. In that scripture reading from Exodus that I read for you before, we get only a glimpse, just an introduction to the building of that tabernacle, and, and we might think of it as our sanctuary. But first, God said to take an offering from all whose hearts prompt them to give. Now, would you like to know what that tells me? What that tells me is that God wants voluntary gifts. God is not into extortion. Reminds me of the attitude of one misguided church member who said, my job in the church is to show up, sit up, shut up, and pay up. Well, God is not a crime boss. God does not want to twist our arms and break our legs until we give. God only wants Moses to gather an offering from people who really want to give. Now, it's interesting to me, going down a side road for just a second, that by not giving, it did not mean that the people were cast out in the outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth or that they somehow lost their citizenship but it was to be a free offering out of gratitude to the free God who had made freed people out of these slaves in Egypt. And friends, so it is with us. God desires generous, joyful givers for his dwelling place. In fact, the Bible says in the New Testament that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, in the Presbyterian Church, I have to say, we're not really that particular. We will take money from grumpy people too. But God says, gather an offering from those who are willing. And then God asked that the offering be of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, 
purple and, and crimson yarns, fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, acacia wood, oil, spices for incense, and onyx stones and gems. These were all extremely valuable commodities. The point is this. God asked for the best they had. God said, bring your gold. Okay, if you don't have gold, bring your silver. Okay, if you don't have silver, bring bronze. If you don't have any of that, then bring, bring some yarn, blue, purple, red, whatever you got. Or, or bring linens or, or precious stones. We could certainly use those too. And the people gave the best, the best that they had. God didn't want their junk for his house. God wanted an offering from those who are willing, and he wants it to be an offering of the best that they have. Now, on this first Sunday of Advent, why is this important? What in the world does that have to do with Christmas or gold or you and me? Well, God made a promise that goes even more deeper and powerful than what we read in the Old Testament. Because Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 23. Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So God's promise in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is that he dwells not just near his people, not just among his people, but in, in his people. God has chosen not just to live in buildings, but in his people. Now, you know how much I love our church sanctuary and how I love the renovation, how beautifully everything came out. And this place that we gather Sunday after Sunday after Sunday is where we offer our prayers and our songs and our devotion and our love and our gifts to God. We do all that, right? Well, I am sorry to have to break the news to you today, but God is not most glorified in old buildings or in new buildings or in buildings made of silver and gold or in crystal cathedrals out in California. God is most glorified in people who are indwelt with his presence so that they might reflect his glory to those whom they meet. You see, our work here is not to build some kind of medi mediocre tabernacle for God's dwelling place, but a greater temple of the Holy Spirit for our lives, for our hearts, for our bodies, for our souls. And so what was true of the Israelites as they built the tabernacle applies to you and me today as we build God's dwelling place in our hearts and in our lives. God's promise is dwell in us. And he says to us, as he did the Israelites, take for me an offering from those who are willing for my dwelling place. So the gift of God, the gift that we give to God for that dwelling place, it should be giving willingly, it should be giving cheerfully, and it has to be the best that you have. You know, growing up in my house, there were certain rules that we had to follow. For example, you had to do all your homework before you could watch television. Second, you had to do your chores on Saturday, like dust the furniture, vacuum the rug, clean your room. Another one was that no one, and I mean no one, started eating until we had prayed first. One of my least favorite rules 
was that I had to wear a tie every week to church. And so each Sunday, I'd put on this really dorky-looking clip-on tie that was just so tight around my neck, and it really looked kind of nerdy, too. And I remember asking my father, why do I have to wear this tie every week when none of my friends have to? My father's stock answer always was, always was because you've got to give your best to God. Friends, we need to give our best to God. We don't give God our junk just because he will take it. We give to God our best because he deserves it. God deserves the best we have. God deserves the first fruits from our lives, not just some leftovers. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, give separate offerings to God. And Cain offers from out in his field, and Abel presents his offering from his own flock. And this is what it says in Genesis 4. And God had favor upon Abel and his offering, but upon Cain and his offering, he did not find favor. Why? What was the basis of God's preference of one offering over the other? Could it be that God is like me? Does God love prime rib and hate anything green? Why does he accept the shepherd's offering and reject the farmer's offering? If we look more closely at the story, we find that Abel brought his very best. Abel brought that which cost him something. He brought the choicest cuts of his finest stock to God. And it appears that, that Cain just sort of absentmindedly took some vegetables and threw them on top of the pile. It says Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. God, God told the Israelites to build with gold, silver, and bronze, and, and other fine materials because God deserves it. You know, unfortunately, we're a lot like Cain in our giving. We usually end up giving to God not the best, but our leftovers. We give God leftover time for worship, prayer, service, and daily devotions. We, we give God leftover money that we find at the bottom of our piggy banks. We give God leftover love when everyone else has had their share. We end up treating God like goodwill or some other nonprofit charitable agency. In fact, did you know that goodwill spends up to 70% of its time and resources sorting through and disposing of the junk that people bring to the stores? And you know that people will need just about a U-Haul to bring in the dregs of their possessions, things that neither they nor anybody else probably wants. Friends, God does not want your junk. God wants the best that you have for his dwelling place. Remember in Luke's gospel, the widow who gave her last two coins as an offering in the temple. It was her only two coins, but it was her best. It was her gift of gold that she gave to Jesus. You know, we sing that beautiful hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, and there's that one verse. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Not a mite would I withhold. So, question for you. Are we giving our best to God? Are we giving our gifts of gold 
to God? Or is it possible that we're withholding from him? I think that we're afraid in a lot of ways to give our best to God because that might mean it will subtract from everything and everyone else that we have to give to, like family and friends and the other important things around us. Well, the reality is when we give our best to God, it puts everything in proper perspective. It puts everything in its right place. It places priorities on helping us enjoy God's gifts all the more. But the mindset that many of us have is like a pie that you slice into many pieces. And oh my gosh, if I were to give God more of my life, in other words, a bigger slice of the pie, that might mean I'd be giving less to others that I feel love towards or obligations to. Friends, here's the truth of the Christian faith. The more you give to Jesus Christ, the more you have to give to others as well. The pie expands so that every slice is exponentially larger than it was before. So what does it mean to bring our gold as an offering to God? Well, your gift of gold can be your faith. It can be patience. It can be holiness. Your gold can be the first fruits of, of your worship and prayer and, and building a deeper relationship with God. Your gold can be the first fruits of your money that you give here at Chestnut Level. Your gold can be the first fruits of your love to God because the more that you give to him, the more that you'll have to give to everyone and everything else. Friends, we give our gold the best that we have in order to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, when God gave himself in a manger, that was the best that God had to offer. When God gave himself on the cross for us, That was the best that God had to offer. We give our gifts of gold because God has already done that for you and me. We give our gifts of gold because Jesus Christ first gave his best, his shed blood on the cross. Now in Matthew's gospel, the wise men gave the best gifts at Christmas. They went to see the baby Jesus, and according to the King James Version of the Bible, presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave gold, a gift befitting a king. And we sing that Christmas song, Let Earth Receive Her King. They recognized this baby as the ruler of the world. They also gave the gift of frankincense, not Frankenstein, frankincense. Frankincense was a perfume in the form of translucent amber beads. Frankincense was used by by the priests in the temple as an offering that they would make sacrifices in order to bridge the gap between God and humanity. Finally, the wise men gave the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was a medicinal substance for healing. They recognized Jesus as the great physician and the healer of the world. Story is told of a king who ordered a new castle to be built. And he summoned the greatest builder in the kingdom and told him that he wanted him to, to build the greatest castle that anyone had ever seen. He wanted to have the tallest spires, the most beautiful gardens, and the finest stonework. He wanted the best architects, the most skilled artisans, and the greatest decorators so that it would be the greatest castle on earth. 
And the builder took all those instructions and he went and he found the highest quality stone. He found the most beautiful flowers and he used his mind to build the greatest design of that castle that he could imagine. He hired the finest architects, artisans, and decorators to build the greatest castle that anyone ever knew. It would be greater than a castle than anyone could imagine. Well, the big day arrived when it was time for the king to take possession of the castle. And the king told the builder that he had long been an admirer of that builder's work. The houses and the buildings that the builder built were of exceptional quality. The king said that he was impressed by the builder's unwavering loyalty to the king and the way he showed kindness and compassion to those who were in the king's court. And so the king wanted to give the builder a reward. And the king gave the builder the very castle that the builder himself had built. Now what if the builder had used lesser materials, cut corners, and just settled for good enough. No, would have been, no one would have been the wiser, but then he never would have known what it was like to live in the best castle ever built. So friends, as I close, what will you be giving to God in preparing a dwelling place for the baby born in Bethlehem. Will you be giving God leftover time, leftover money, leftover love, or will you be giving to God the gold, the first fruits of your life? This much I do know. You will never know what it's like to live in the castle unless you give your gift of gold to Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is coming. We celebrate his birth again this season. So let us prepare a place for God to dwell. And may the holy child of Bethlehem be born in us today, tomorrow, and throughout this Advent season. And may we give our lives as tabernacles of gold for his dwelling place. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you that the season of Advent celebrates your coming to us, to be near us and around us, but also to live in us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would make room for you in our hearts and in our lives as we prepare for your coming. Help us not to say that there's no room at the end. Help us not to say that what we have is just good enough for you, O oh God. Instead, may we give joyfully and cheerfully May we give you the best that we have because it is truly what you deserve. And we ask these things and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.